And I'm so thankful that that's what we're doing here together. So we're gonna read scripture this morning. We're gonna go to Genesis chapter 22, start, or Genesis chapter 32, starting with verse 22. And I invite you to turn there in your Bibles with me if you would like. It'll be on the screen. Or just sit and be. Close your eyes. Let the word wash over you as we hear this story about Jacob. Are you there? Are you ready? Here we go. The night, man, that was good verbal affirmation. The night Jacob got up, that night Jacob got up and he took his two wives, his two female servants and his 11 sons and he crossed the ford at the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched and, the rest, and he wrestled with that man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called this place Peniel saying, it is because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel and he was limping because of his hip. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. And together we say, thanks be to God. We're not in any series this week. We're going to take a, a standalone week this week and next week to do some internal introspection, some transparent look at ourselves as individuals and as a community. Next week, I'm excited. We're going to celebrate all the children and all the children's ministries. But today, this Sunday morning, we're going to pause and just be honest with ourselves. And so without any more setup, I would like to just preach from that subject, to be honest. Will you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. We thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And all God's people said, amen. Usually to introduce a sermon or to begin a sermon, I'll use some personal story or modern illustration that connects us to the text. It's a means of, of drawing us into the realities at work within this scripture. But this morning, um, our way into the sermon is to take a look at what was going on before today's scripture lesson in the life of Jacob, Jacob's backstory. If you don't know, Jacob is the son of Isaac. Isaac was the son of Abraham. And so we're going to be spending a lot of time just in this Genesis story to begin our sermon this morning. And so before we got to this crossroads moment in Jacob's life, um, Jacob was born as a twin to Isaac and Rebekah. Isaac had been praying for a while because Rebekah had been barren, and he prayed that God would deliver them and give them children. And so she um, conceived twins. The firstborn was Esau. He was red and hairy, and he came out, and the, he, it said that Jacob was holding on to his heel on the way out. They wrestled within her before they were born because they were going to be a nation at war with each other, is what the scriptures tell us. Esau grew to be a skillful hunter. While Jacob was a quiet man, Isaac loved Esau, Rebekah loved Jacob. One day, Jacob was cooking in the kitchen. He was making some stew or um, some porridge, you know, whatever you want to call it. He was making some soup, basically. And Esau comes in from a hunt, 
and he's famished, and he says, give me some of that red stuff. Give me some of that stew. And Jacob, being the clever person he is, he said, I'll give you some of this, but first, sell me your birthright. And the birthright was like one of the most important things for a male in the ancient Near Eastern culture. He said, sell me your birthright, because with the birthright comes land, wealth, influence, to be the head of the household and family, and most importantly, the blessing from God. And Jacob told Esau, if you sell me your birthright, if you give me the thing that you value the most, then I will give you some of this stew that is temporary. Esau was so starving, he said, what good is a birthright to me if I'm gonna die from hunger? And so he sold Jacob his birthright in that moment. Apparently, Isaac never got the word that the birthright had been sold, and Esau must have forgotten because later in life, when Isaac was close to dying, he came to his son Esau and told Esau, go out and um, hunt some game, fix me some meat the way I like it, and then I will bless you. Remember the blessing, it's the most important thing. I will bless you, you will get the blessing from God. I'll pass it down to you. And so Isaac, so Isaac said this to Esau, and Esau left to go hunt game. Well, Jacob and his mother overheard this, and they decided that they would trick Isaac. And so Jacob's mother, Rebekah, went and killed some sheep, or some goats, excuse me, and made some, some meat just the way that Isaac liked it. And Jacob took that, the hair, the fur from those animals and put it on himself, because remember, Esau's hairy. And Isaac, at this time, had gone blind. He could not see anymore. And so Jacob puts on this fur and takes on this meat and goes to Isaac and says, here I am, your oldest son, Esau, you can give me your blessing now. And Isaac says, are you sure you're Esau? And Jacob's like, yeah, I'm really Esau, I swear, it's me, I promise. And after some convincing, Isaac does give Jacob the blessing, saying, may God give you the dew of heaven and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be anyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. So after Jacob receives this blessing, he leaves and Esau comes in from hunting and he fixes, not knowing what's going on, he fixes the game and he takes it to his father Isaac and says, here Isaac, here father, I brought you this game, please bless me now. And Isaac's like, what are you talking about? I just blessed you. And Esau said, no, you didn't, I, was, I wasn't here. And Isaac said, oh no, he realized what had happened and he told him what had taken place and, and Esau said, please just bless me too. And Isaac said, I can't do it. And so Esau is furious. Esau is so mad that he says, once our father has died and we've finished mourning him, Jacob, I'm gonna kill you. And so Jacob gets scared and he runs away to the land of his uncle Laban in Haran. And when he gets there, he sees this beautiful young girl whose name is Rachel. Rachel ends up becoming his wife, but he also happens to be Laban's daughter, which means he's his first cousin. And apparently they didn't know the Alabama rule that you can't marry kissing cousins, non-kissing cousins. <laughs> So he meets Laban, and Laban asks him um, if he wants to stay, and, and, and he says he'd like to stay and work, and he says, well, I have to pay you something. What can I pay you? And he says, I'll work for you for seven years if by the end of that time I can marry your daughter, Rachel, my first cousin. And he agrees to it. I don't think he said my first cousin, but we know what it is. And so he agrees to it, and they, he works for seven years, and when it's time for them to get married, he says, I've worked for seven years. Please bring me my wife. And that night, his wife comes into his tent, and, and they lay together, the scripture says. And then it says that he woke up the next morning and realized it was Leah, his, Rachel's oldest sister. This is a strange story, y'all. I don't know if you ever read the Bible before. It's full of strange stuff. And so he said, Laban, why did you do this to me? I was supposed to marry Rachel. Not, not, I wasn't supposed to marry Leah. And he says, well, in our culture, you can't marry the youngest daughter before the oldest daughter. And so if you work for me for another seven years, you can marry Rachel also. So you'll have two wives, which is also still pretty weird. And so he says, you can do, if you work for me for another seven years. So he agrees to do that. 
They work for another seven years. And finally, he's like, all right, I'm done. I'm ready to go. And this is leading up to our story today. He tells Laban, Laban, I don't want to work here anymore. I'm ready to go back to my homeland. And Laban agrees to it. And they decide that he should be compensated for all the work he's done with the livestock. The livestock have done really well under Jacob's care. And they've grown and they've multiplied. And, and he says, if you will let me have your spotted and speckled um, goats and your sheep with black fur, black wool, I, I will take those as my payment. Which is saying, give me the lesser of your flock. I don't deserve the greater of your flock. Laban agrees to it. But the next day he takes all the speckled and spotted goats and all the sheep of black fur and he puts them somewhere else. And so for the next few years, he, he continues to work to, to grow this pasture, Jacob does, but he realized a trick about how to make sheep who have speckled, how to make sheep who have black wool and goats who have speckled and spots, is if you take some rods and you feed it to them right before that they mate, then the children will be born speckled and spotted. And so he does this without telling anybody. And he makes this big livestock population that is actually much stronger than Laban's. And whenever they try to reap the, you know, take the sheep to market, the goats to market, they, Jacob's getting wealthier and wealthier. And Laban's sons realize what's going on. And they're like, hey, this is messed up, man. This is our dad's stuff. And, and you're making profit for yourself. We got to do something about this. We got to take care of this guy, basically. We got to get him out of here. Jacob, realizing something's about to happen, decides he's going to flee. So he grabs his wives, he grabs his children, he grabs his wealth, he grabs his livestock, and they leave. And he says, I'm going to go home. Surely, and it's been 20 years, my brother will have forgiven me. If not, an angry brother is probably better than an angry uncle. And so they're on their way there. They're on their way back home. And so he gets nervous a little bit. They get to the ford at Jabbok, and he sends ahead of him some gifts for Esau. And he says, I'm coming home, brother. Here are some livestock for you. And Esau sends back a letter that's like really vague. It's like the word, you know when you, get a, when you send like some really long text message to your significant other or somebody you're interested in, like, like pouring out your guts or your heart, you're like, I love you, you're so great, you're so special, and they send back like, okay. Has that, that ever happened? Because that's real life for me. Not from Brianna, this is, she loves me too much, she wouldn't send me back, okay. But anyway, so he does that, he sends all these stuff, and Esau just says, that he always says this, I'm coming to meet you with 400 men. That's it. Like, not, oh, great, can't wait to see you, or I'm going to kill you with 400 men. It's just like, I'm coming to meet you with 400 men. And so Jacob, like, freaks out. And he sends three more groups with gifts of livestock, of wealth. He sends this stuff. He says, make sure you tell Esau this is from Jacob. Make sure you tell him this is from his brother. And then they come to that stream there at Jabbok. And he sends his wives and his children and their servants across the stream. And he's sitting all alone, nervous as can be. Have you ever had like something big coming up the next day? A big job interview, a big test, a big something, whatever it might be. And the night before, you just can't sleep. You're just restless. You're terrified about what's about to happen. And so you've got these nerves built up. That's kind of where Jacob is in this moment. He's sitting by himself all alone on the side of the stream. And all of a sudden, the text tells us that he starts wrestling with a man. Now, later in the text, it tells us that he wrestled with God. And the subheading for most of our Bibles, if you look in your Bible, will say Jacob wrestles with God. But at first it says it's a man. So some wonder, is this an angel or is it actually God or is it like an emissary of God? Like we're not exactly sure how God is manifested in this moment, but we know that there is some sort of divine being there with Jacob, wrestling Jacob. And it says they wrestled all night long. Now, I used to like play wrestle as a kid and like I get tired after like a minute. 
So he wrestled with this guy, this divine being, all night long. And then the morning comes around, the sun begins to rise, and the divine being knocks Jacob's hip out of socket, which would be super painful. And Jacob's holding on so tight that the man yells at him and he says, let me go. And Jacob says, I will not let you go until you bless me. Now, this is a strange interaction with strange situations. Jacob's already gotten the traditional religious blessing that is so important socially and culturally. He stole it from his brother. He tricked his father into giving it to him, so he's got it, technically. So why is he now asking for some other divine being to bless him? He cries out, I will not let you go until you bless me. And this God-man, this spiritual being who he's wrestling with, says to him, what is your name? And this is no minor question. In the ancient Near East, your name is not just a thing you write on a sticky pad and put it on, sticky paper and put it on your shirt at like a, a mixer. Your name carries so much weight. It is your identity. It is your heritage. It's a reflection of your tribe. It's your family. It's your story. It's, it's all of who you are. Your name means so much more than maybe when we first read it. He's not just saying, what is your name? He's saying, who are you that I should bless you? Who are you? And in this moment, we hear the response from an exasperated, terrified, desperate man. He has spent his whole life trying to be someone else, tricking his brother into giving him something that didn't belong to him, tricking his father into doing the same, fleeing his homeland where he felt most comfortable, manipulating his uncle, running from bad situation to bad situation, it's a life with no real identity of its own. We now reflect upon Jacob as this patriarch of Judaism, this amazing person. But early in Jacob's life, it was anything but that. He didn't even know who he was. His life had been a facade of all the things he wanted to be and never being able to be content with who he is. But in this moment, after wrestling with God all night, he can finally say, I am Jacob. He can admit his faults, his baggage, his scars. He can just say like, who I am is all the things that I've done. Who I am is Jacob. Like this is me laid bare, wrestled with you all night. I am Jacob. And in this moment, after he reveals this self, this, this reality to himself and to God, it is then that God brings him into all that God wants him to be. He says, now you'll be known as Israel. And it's from this name that we get the name for all the people who came after him. The identity of this divinely ordained tribe that the whole Old Testament is focused on is Israel. And it came from this moment. Jacob was brought into God's story to be part of God's vision for the future because he was able to admit to himself who he was, laid bare. This is me. This is who I am. And God says, I can use that. I've got plans for that. Who you are is enough for me. In that moment, Jacob becomes part of the name by which God is known to the Hebrew people. 
Yahweh is the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob. Not just the God of Abraham, or or Abraham and Isaac, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Once Jacob was fully able to be transparent with himself about who he is, then he could become the person who God wants him to be. And so friends, I have two questions for us this morning. Very simple, but deeply complex. What is our name? And what is your name? You see, if you are here today and you profess to be a member of this church, you are not yourself on your own. Your individual self is not your only self. You are part of this whole. You are in relationship to others. You are a person in covenant with me and with everybody else in this room. And when you joined this church, you made a covenant to be a person with us. And that with us, you are gonna give your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your witness, and your service. And as a church body, we are in relationship to one another. Who we are is part of this whole. And it seems like as a whole, we often wrestle with God. I think organizationally as a church, sometimes we're trying to figure out who we are. If somebody would ask you, who is Dolphin Way? We might all give like a thousand different answers. And I think internally, we're like, Who are we can mean a whole lot of different things. Organizationally, sometimes we do things that that we like the most as opposed to considering what God is calling us to do. At times, we're just trying to go in a certain direction because it's cool or it's convenient or it's most popular with little to no concern as if this, is this what God actually wants for us? I think we are taking this time to discern, but I think too often we all go in such different directions that we forget. We are part of this together. And every opinion matters. And every person in this room matters. You being here is important to the person sitting next to you. Not just because you got a beautiful voice and you're singing. I know all y'all are like, man, the person next to me really wants to hear me sing. It's deeper than that. We're connected to one another. And at times we become beholden to our traditions and our doctrine so much so that we miss the discernments of where the Holy Spirit wants us to move and who God is calling us to be. But I believe if we're gonna be a faithful people together, a faithful church, we have to own our name. We have to say who we are. We have to acknowledge our baggage. We have to admit our faults. We have to have a a truthful conversation about our identity and about our realities. We have to be transparent with ourselves and with all those who want to know us. Part of that transparency is being proud of who we are and all the things we've done. In a few weeks, we're gonna begin a series called um, uh, The Difference We Make. And for four weeks, we're gonna celebrate all the different things that we do as a church that make a difference in lives beyond our community and within our own selves. For four weeks, we're just gonna give God thanks for all the ways in which God continues to bless us. Yet, if we're gonna be fully transparent, we don't just admit the things we're really good at. We also have to be honest about the things we're not so good at. We have to admit the times when we have not been welcoming. We have to be honest about the fact that we're not perfect. We don't always live up to who we want to be. And like Jacob, we have not always been good about being honest about who we are. And one of the things I can promise you is that Robbins, our senior pastor, Sheila, Kathy, and I, as a pastoral team, we want nothing more than to be transparent. As a pastoral group, as a staff, and as a church, that we want, like, if anybody's got questions, we're gonna answer it. We're not gonna have you know, just backdoor meetings all the time, backroom meetings, the doors closed where nobody gets to know what's going on. Like We're in church together, we're in this together, we make decisions together, but we also live in the realities together too. So before we move into the season of celebration, we thought we needed to take a moment just to be honest and tell you that our church operationally is in a pretty precarious place. 
We are facing decisions and realities that as a church we have not had to face in the past. For multiple years in a row, we, we have spent beyond our means. We have created ministries and sought to do more and more good, and they are doing good, but we have not been funding these ministries, and so something is going to have to change. We have depleted a number of our sources that were meant for reserves, and though there's still money in trust and in designated accounts, we can't use that money except for the things for which it was given. And so we're now in the practice of you know, writing checks and holding them to make sure we have enough cash on hand to be able to pay our bills. Cindy McMillan is doing a fantastic job as our accountant helping us navigate these financial realities. Robert Hunter and his maintenance staff are just, if you don't know them, they are wonderful people. And they work tirelessly to help us make sure that we are still operating in the best possible ways we can. But part of the reality of who we are and where we are right now is that we have an unsustainable fiscal landscape. And we just believe that before we can be who God is calling us to be in this next season, because we do believe in a bright future, we believe that from our vision teams, we're gonna have specific direction, and we have so much to celebrate, we have so much good to offer, and this is such an amazing church, that before we spend a whole season celebrating that, we have to be honest about just where we are, our baggage, who we are, the things that we are facing. Our membership has continued to increase, but our active participation has decreased. We have a lot less people who are regularly attending worship, even though they're members of the church. We have a lot less people in discipleship, but there's still so much good happening. It's kind of a paradox. It's, it's fascinating, really. Every day I come to work so thankful for all that's going on and so desperate that more people will catch this vision of how great it is Amen. because there's so much good happening here. And perhaps the most sobering thing for me, you know, as a person who's with a contemporary service the most, something that helps me, you know, realize where we are, is that as a unit, we, we use us in this room specifically the most, you know, child care, um, children's ministries, youth ministries, all the things we participate in, and yet we, we contribute the least to it. And that was hard for me to hear whenever we were having conversations with our financial team, with our um, finance committee and, and was we were looking at things that, you know, we love the things we do, but we're not going to be able to do them forever if we keep going at this rate. And personally, I was nervous about saying this. I've said this like a lot. Like I just get like nervous about saying things about money because like money's not my thing. Like the Bible's my thing. And we talk about like uh, uh, the, the scary things about life. I'm like I just want to tell jokes. I just want to be optimistic and positive. But Robbins challenged us, you know, we need to be honest about who we are. And when Robbins told me this, I was skeptical at first. I, I was skeptical about like, should we do this the Sunday after Labor Day? The Sunday after Labor Day is so exciting. All the things are starting. So many good things are going on. But as I began praying about this, about this conversation we're having right now, I felt a deep conviction within my own heart, within my own life. I realized this is not only a conversation about our community. Who we are is not only a question for us as a church, this is a conversation about us individually. This is a conversation about us personally. Because one of the things I think I fail to do so often, like Jacob, is be able to admit who I am, to even know who I am. Maybe the hesitancy we have as a church to be transparent all the time is because we as individuals have an unwillingness to be transparent all the time. Transparent with ourselves transparent with our spouses, transparent with our children. 
transparent with our friends. Are you being honest in your life about who you are, about what you are, about what you're doing, about who you're being? And so as we wrap up our time together, my second question for us this morning is, what is your name? Who are you? What baggage are you carrying? What are your struggles? What are the things that that you're wrestling with deep inside yourself that you are too scared to speak out loud? What are you afraid to admit? What are these inner demons that you're sitting with every night just so scared to go to sleep because this reality is gonna come up again tomorrow and the next day and the next day? You're like Jacob sitting on the side of the stream just terrified about what's to come and, and you've never been able to truly admit who you are and what's going on. I think when we do that, it affects us as a whole because we're connected. Our church might not be able to be transparent because we ourselves can't be transparent. We can't be honest with ourselves about who we are. And when we can come before this altar, when we can come to this communion table, when we come to worship, we can say, I am Woods and I have these struggles. When we can admit to ourselves and to God that we need help, that we are not perfect, that we can't do things on our own, that we have manipulated people, that we have worked situations for our own good as opposed to those for others. When we can say to God, this is me, here I am, only then do we discover the real truth that who we truly are is children of God, people loved by a divine creator. The most authentic identity we have is not the facade that we show the world. It's not our job. It's not our wealth. It's not our car. It's not our social groups. It's not where we come from. It's the fact that we are children of the most high God and that that God loves us just the way we are. So whatever you're struggling with being honest about, is it because you're nervous about how it would be received? Is it because you're afraid to admit it to yourself? Is it because you're afraid to admit it to God? Because we are so much more than the labels we put on ourselves. We are so much more than our jobs. We are so much more And God has such a bright future in store for each of us. So much that God wants to do for us. But like Jacob, Jacob cannot become Israel until Jacob admitted who he was. Just imagine all that God wants to do with and through you once you admit who you are. I believe that God has so much in store for every person in this room. And you can't say, well, Woods, you don't know me. You don't know my struggles. You can't say, Woods, mine are so much worse. I can't be forgiven because there is so much more than we could ever ask for or imagine. God is bigger than every struggle we have, every false self we project. So let us be a people who say, here I am, God. This is me. I need forgiveness. I need help. I need love. Because our God is desperate to give us all those things, to let you know that you are loved. In the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. All God's people said together, amen. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you that you help us to be honest, to be honest as a church, to be honest as individuals. 
We ask that you forgive us as a community when we fail to be obedient to your will, when we fail to do the things that you're calling us to do. Forgive us, we pray, for not hearing the cry of the needy. Forgive us for being self-indulgent as opposed to outward looking. In those times when we are not being who you've called us to be, we ask for forgiveness. And forgive us as individuals and help us realize the things for which we need to be forgiven. Let us not be ignorant to our own hypocrisies, but to be aware of the ways you're calling us to grow and the ways by which you're challenging us. Let us ever be growing in our holiness on this path to wholeness. You are our God and we are your people. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.